0: Welcome to the 384th of the COVID Calls. This is a daily discussion of the COVID-19 pandemic with a diverse collection of disaster experts. My name is Scott Gabriel Knowles. I'm a historian of disasters at the Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology. I'm coming to you live from Daejeon, South Korea. Today, I welcome Dr. Marjorie Roberts, COVID-19 survivor, long COVID activist and life coach. Just a reminder, you can usually catch COVID Calls live on weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Just go to the COVID Calls YouTube channel to watch. You can hear COVID Calls anytime, recorded as podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, or anywhere you get podcasts. You can also keep up with COVID Calls via Twitter using the handle at US of Disaster or at COVID Calls. Please help spread the word and send suggestions for future guests and future topics. And as always, please feel free to suggest yourself as a future guest. I'm very happy to be back with you after a a few days off around the Thanksgiving holiday and into this week. Thanks, of course, to the tireless efforts of Bucky Stanton and Huna Kume and Shivani Patel. We have exciting conversations on COVID calls going for the rest of the month and into the new year. As of today, December 6th, 2021, there are 5,258,157 deaths globally from COVID-19. That's according to the Johns Hopkins University Coronavirus Resource Center. I've been reading an obituary or a story of advocacy for those impacted by the pandemic, and I'd like to continue that now. The headline, until vaccine inequity is addressed, none of us is safe. This appeared in the Korean newspaper, the Hankyore, November 30th. 2021. The world is under attack from Omicron, the 13th major variant of the COVID-19 virus, and the fifth to be designated as a variant of concern by the World Health Organization. While Korea and other countries have hurried to place travel restrictions on the country where Omicron was discovered and its neighbors, the variant had already spread to 13 countries in five continents as of last week, not even three weeks since it was first reported on November 11th. Variant rapid transmission means it's probably only a matter of time before it spreads around the entire world. This is a fresh and vivid reminder of the immense difficulty of responding to a global pandemic at the level of individual countries. Just as with other viral variants, Omicron first appeared in a low-income country, Botswana, in South Africa, Southern Africa. Low-income countries have less access to COVID-19 vaccines. While high-income countries have reached a full vaccination rate of more than 60 percent and are already moving on to booster shots, the full vaccination rate in the entirety of Africa has barely reached 7 percent. The partial vaccination rate, which includes those who've only received one vaccine dose, isn't much higher, at 11 percent. The WHO and other groups have warned for some time now that these largely unvaccinated, low-income countries are breeding grounds for viral variants and will become the epicenter of the global COVID-19 crisis. In that sense, it's no exaggeration to say that the Omicron crisis is the result of disregarding vaccine inequity. This crisis is due to major countries' overemphasis on their economic interests and their selfish hoarding of vaccines in the face of something that not only appeals to our sense of universal togetherness, but could also endanger us all wealthy or otherwise, at any time. This past September, the top health officials of G20 member countries signed the Rome Pact that called for developing countries to receive a fair supply of COVID-19 vaccines. But such declarations of vaccine equity are belied by the fact that vaccines supplied through the COVAX facility, collective vaccine purchasing project for developing countries, haven't even reached 70% of its goal. Global stock markets have been rattled by Omicron even as the stocks of Pfizer and other vaccine makers have spiked. That's an example of how untrammeled economic logic can backfire on the economy, as well as how pharmaceutical firms' monopoly on profit can clash with the interests of the economic ecosystem as a whole. People around the world have called for temporarily suspending patents on COVID-19 vaccines. In July of 2020, South Korean President Moon Jae-in and seven other world leaders ran an opinion piece in the Washington Post that began with the message, none of us is safe until all of us are safe. Time has come for our leaders to put words into action with bold decision-making. An opinion piece from last week regarding vaccine inequity in the South Korean newspaper, The Hankyoreh. Okay. I'd like to turn to our conversation today. This is one I've really been looking forward to with great excitement. Let me introduce my guest to you, Dr. Marjorie Roberts. Dr. Roberts is a certified life coach and speaker who coaches her clients how to create the life of their dreams, even after this life-altering virus, COVID-19. Living through this illness and learning to navigate life differently, she has a real-time experience with what her clients deal with daily. Dr. Marjorie's dynamic and authentic coaching style creates trust, Motivates and moves people toward positive change with actionable results. She assists her clients in finding their deep inner happiness after pain, helping them define and achieve goals as they consistently live a more joyful life. She attended Capella University and obtained a doctorate of business administration with a specialization in strategy and innovation in 2014. Additionally, Dr. Roberts gained her life coaching certification in November of 2019, and I'm thrilled that she could make time to talk with me today. Marjorie Roberts, thank you so much for joining me on COVID Calls. Thank you
1: so much for joining me on COVID Calls. Oh, Thank you for inviting me, Scott. Thank you so much.
0: I'd like to start by asking you a question I usually do, just to find out where you're calling from and what the pandemic situation looks like there today.
1: Okay. Currently, I'm in Johns Creek, Georgia, and it's not looking good in Georgia because Georgia is has moved on. Everything's opening. They're playing football, basketball, baseball, and everybody's pretty much going on with their life and hollering and screaming and it's just like it's they acting like it's 2018 here. So I'm, I'm very afraid of what the future's going to hold for Georgia.
0: So w- when you say people have moved on, it, it's just that there's no discussion about uh, the pandemic. I mean, even though the rates remain high, people are just not engaging the discussion at all.
1: It's not as much as I would hope that it would be, because Georgia is very populated. There are there are millions of people here, but for whatever reason, you know, personal choices. They don't believe us. They don't believe that COVID-19 is real. They don't believe that they should have to wear a mask. They don't believe that they should have to be vaccinated. And life goes on. Football here is a big thing. College ball is a big thing here. NBA is a big thing here. Everything is a big thing here. Everything that involves a lot of people and brings a lot of revenue goes on here. So when you see a crowd, you know, I don't do crowds anymore. I have no desire to do a crowd. But when I see a crowd, I, I, I see COVID because there's nowhere around the fact that it, you can't tell me that it's not people in there that have COVID. But, you know, for whatever reason, they think it's just a the flu. They think that a couple of aspirins and some Tylenol will knock it out. And I'm living proof that that's not how it works. Myself and me of other people.
0: I saw in the news that uh, the politics for the elections next year has already started full speed in Georgia. I guess there'll be a challenge. Uh, the former senator is, is going to try for the governorship and Stacey Abrams is going to try for the governorship. Certainly there's going to be discussion of COVID at, at a centerpiece of that election, I would think.
1: Uh, I would hope, but um, it hasn't, it really hasn't, you know, this past administration, it it wasn't enough COVID talk for me, a lot of people here in this area that had platforms that could have used it, you know, to help get the word out, they chose not to, so, you know, he, everybody, they're throwing their head into the race, and they're they're all to the races, and I'm still waiting. I'm. I just want to see who's going to say anything. Who's going to invite COVID-19 long hauls to the table? Who's going to address the fact that we are suffering? There are there are a lot of people here who who lost their jobs. There are a lot of people here who have lost their homes. There are a lot of people here who can't pay their bills. And you know, even with this last the race for the mayor of this class a couple weeks ago, I kept waiting. I kept waiting patiently to see who was going to mention us, who was going to say, and, and neither one of them, nobody said anything about us. So I can only hope that, you know, that whoever will, you know, invite us to the table, ask us, you know, engage us to see what it is and let the truth be told because, like I say, we're suffering here. We are suffering
0: Let's go back to March of 2020, if we could. Would you mind sharing your COVID experience? Um, I was at work.
1: I contracted COVID-19. I was managing a gift shop in the hospital. I had taken that job because I wanted to. I was in the business the getting ready to launch my own business, and I wanted to get the website and everything built. So I took this job in December of 2019, managing the gift shop in hospital. And the first couple of weeks of March, COVID was just coming to the forefront. So I was going to the town hall meetings every day that the hospital was holding. I was going there and listening and taking notes and trying to take back to this company that I was working for. But again, it comes down to the dollar. It was coming down to the bottom line and they didn't want to hear that. So as a result of that, um, somebody came in that gift shop and made me sick. Somebody came in there, um, you know, I don't know who. I, to this day, I don't know. I don't, because it was busy. It was high traffic. So on March the 17th, the hospital made them close the gift shop down, told me to lock the door and get out of here. Go out, get out, go. Because COVID was coming. And that following week, that Thursday, I was fine. I woke up that morning. It was a normal day for me. I had been in the house since that week because I knew not to go anywhere or do anything. And I was coming back from the mailbox in my complex, and I lost my balance. And I didn't think any other thing about it. I didn't think it was COVID because I thought I had done everything to protect myself. And by the time the sun went down, that night my life had forever changed because COVID was in me. It had it, had, it had rolled. It was coming out it was manifesting itself and it was it was getting, it was kicking my butt i was sick i was getting sicker by the day just getting so sick throwing up headaches nightmares all kind of stuff was happening to my body that i, I didn't know what to do so it was just all of a sudden it was so quick it was was just like that and it would just begin to get the spiral out of control and the headaches were intense the nightmares were scary. The night sweats were scary. I couldn't taste anything. I couldn't smell anything. The headaches was unbearable. I could not breathe. And all of these things were happening simultaneously. That's what people don't understand about COVID nineteen. It's not like you get oh, I get a headache and, and I'm throwing up. No, you all of these things are going on with your body at one time. All of this is happening. So you don't know what to address. You don't know because Everything with COVID is on a whole nother level. A headache is not a headache. When you're throwing up, the diarrhea, the, the, everything is, is, is to a whole nother level. So I had all these things going on with me. And I um, farted at home as long as I could. And I ended up going to the emergency room on, like, I think, like the 29th of April or something like that. And there was nothing they could do. You know they pretty much told me I had a upper respiratory infection. Told me to go home, drink plenty of water, and stay hydrated. And that's what I did. But a couple of weeks later, I was back at the emergency room again because I could not breathe. It was like an elephant or something was standing on my chest, and at the same time, I was having the most horrible acid reflux that I had ever had, and that would have you in the so horrible because you can't breathe, you got acid reflux, you got a headache, you got diarrhea, you have a nightmare, you got an intense headache, you, you, you delusion, you know, everything is just going on. And at that point, after the second trip to the emergency room, I was told to contact my primary physician. Now who could contact a primary physician at that time? So when I finally did get to her, and was able to tell her what was going on with me, she didn't believe me. And she told me that I was mimicking everything that I was seeing on TV. And she told me if I wanted to get better, just to watch Lifetime movies and work a puzzle. Meanwhile, I'm crying to this lady because I had she had been my doctor for five years, Scott. So I thought me was cool like that. And I'm trying to tell her, please help me. She totally gaslit me. So I lost hope at that point because at that point I literally thought I was dying. And I remember having a conversation with my daughter about my life insurance, about my will, because that's how sick I was. And I was just I was just like a wet rag. My husband literally had to pick me up, and take me from point A to point B. I couldn't walk long, I couldn't breathe it was just it was just like nothing I had ever, ever experienced in my life. So by time I got able to go, I had to go back to the emergency room for the third time. So by that time I had to fire my primary position, and I was on the lookout for another one. We were doing everything we could to find one. So around June 8th, all the way from March 26th, until June 8th was when I was finally able to get the new doctor that I have now that she believed me. But by the time I got to her, the damage was already done because she sent me right away to to see a lung specialist. And, you know, my lungs were shot. I had my, my lip nose and my lungs were swollen. I had nodules in my lungs. I had spots on my liver. All of this had happened. So the damage was done. So meanwhile, I had been having really bad, my mouth had been foaming like a volcano. It was really, I can't describe it. It was like I could not drink enough water. My mouth was so dry. So in the midst of all of this and finding out I had all this going on with my lungs, I was finally able to get to the dentist. And COVID had torn my mouth up. And seven teeth had to come out of my mouth. so it's been like you know fast forward to now i have a phenomenal team i have the, you know everybody i got i got a hematologist i got a, a, a therapist i my primary physician i got my lung specialist so they're doing everything they can do to sustain me but it's really no cure you know now i was diagnosed with sarcoidosis in my lungs so at this point all they can do is, is, is keep me happy and monitor me like they do. But there's no erasing these spots off of my liver. The my, the lymph nodes that are in my lungs, they were swelling. So they went down to make sure, you know, that it went, took biopsy and everything to make sure that it wasn't cancerous. And that's when they diagnosed me with psychonosis. Mm. And this is all this happened in, in, in 20 months.
0: Well, well first of all thank you for sharing that story and i know it's hard to go back to that time and um but i think people listening uh, i'm sure a lot of them can connect one way or another with that story and i'm sorry you went through that and i'm sorry you went through that and had to go back and back to the hospital and weren't believed because it sounds like the way you're describing it that added substantially to the stress of it
1: it's- Yes, that being gaslit like we were it was it was it was sad but i really did you know my daughter works in the medical field but she's behind the scenes so while that was going on i did somewhat understand you know nobody knew hmm. nobody knew nobody knew what you know they were the doctors and nurses and everybody working in the hospital they didn't know you know they, they they had an idea that you know what, but they really didn't know. So I, I you know I, I I do think that if my doctor, my primary physician, had not gaslit me and had believed me, it might would have made a little bit of difference. But because she hung me out to dry, you know all those COVID was able to do all those things to my body. But I'm 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 in a good spot now with that with the medical community. Even though you know now I see what's going on with them, but when I look back to April and May and June of 2020, the there were certain individuals in power that could have helped us. Yeah. But they he chose not to. They chose not to for whatever reason. So you know it spiraled out of control. And and when termites finish with the wood, what do they do? They come out. And that's what happened to us. The
0: end of life conversation that you described having with family members mm-hmm. um, I can only imagine how difficult that that must have been. Can you say a little bit more about what how family kind of pulled together at that time?
1: Yes well i am I am the youngest of my siblings i'm sixty one years old, and my oldest sister is eighty two years old. And it's four is so and I have so it's, I'm in, I'm the I'm the youngest and then I have the oldest and it's three in the middle. So and my daughter, I gave birth to my very best friend. She's my only child. So I, I had to have that conversation with her because I need I, I had no choice. And as far as my oldest siblings was concerned, you know, they couldn't get to me. Because two of them are in North Carolina, and the other two are still in Philadelphia, and they they couldn't get to me. I'm the youngest, and they always been able to get to me. Um, my mom died a long time ago. My dad. So we were we 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 were bonded. So to have to have that conversation with them, and I was in constant com you know constant contact with them. And the days that I couldn't talk to them. Leanne would talk to him. My daughter would talk to him. So they were, they were scared. But like I said, I couldn't, I couldn't go home to Philadelphia. I couldn't go to North Carolina, and they couldn't get to me. So it was, it was, it was so scary because people were losing their lives. People were dying. People. It were, and at first, they were saying, "Oh, it's going to be older people." But then everybody, everybody started to lose family members. So. They were scared. I was scared. My husband had to work because he's a director of dining services in a senior living facility. But he was in one of the best ones because they were testing them and they were doing everything that they could do to protect the staff and the the, the people that live. So it was just a, a lot of stuff going on. But my family... My family, we love on each other. You know, we're we no, no better than everybody else because everybody's family has trauma. But for my older sisters to not be able to get to me, and then one of them, the one, one that lives in North Carolina, she was determined to see me. So she had her husband, they drove down here, and I, I saw her from the parking lot because I could not hug her. She could not touch me. And that, that exchange that her and I had, it, it was so powerful because here's my sister, my, my my sister standing in this parking lot but could not come touch me because I didn't know. I didn't know if I, you know, I didn't want to make that, that chance to make anybody what? sick. So to have that conversation and, and, and knowing that, you know, I could die and, and knowing that Leanne was going to be left by herself even though she has specific instructions, that's my baby. And even though, you know, my sister is 81, and then the twins is like 70, you know, it's like, it, it's just it's a lot for a family. It is a lot for, for anybody's family to, to see. And then it was some days I couldn't even talk on the phone to them. I couldn't talk. I wanted to talk, but I could not talk And My voice was gone and I could barely speak. And I didn't want to subject them to that. So what I was doing was on on days that I could I was making, I had this app on my phone and I would record little snippets and little conversations so God forbid if something would happen to me that they could could have that. So, you know, to, to see that I have friends in my group that have lost their mom and daddy the same day. I had one of my best friends from the military that had been my friend for since 1983. He was an 82nd airborne paratrooper, loved jumping out of perfectly good friends place, and COVID took him. So I'm seeing all of this going on. I'm in these groups because early on I joined groups. I joined long hauled COVID fighters. And then I joined Survivor Coach because I was looking for people like myself, and it, you know we would bond together, we would laugh together, we would cry together, and share our stories. Because I was one of the lucky ones. My family, believe me, there were a lot of people who lost families, husbands left, wives left, kids left. It was just it was just doing a whole lot of damage, Scott, that, that people didn't know.
0: That's. The telling yeah. about your family is, is extraordinary to hear and, and that tension. And I, I'm i so moved by the story of your sister getting in the car and coming from North Carolina to see you. It, it And it reminds me of all the stories I've heard and talked to folks who they had uh, parents in nursing care facilities. And they go and have these conversations through the window. And that's, that's yeah. the life that people had. I think people maybe, as you said earlier, people want to move on. They want to watch a football game. Um, but it was not that long ago, uh, almost yesterday, it seems like that this world that you're describing yeah. was uh, the world that everybody was facing and that you were living through. Did your siblings all made it through okay?
1: Yes, I was the only one that contracted COVID out of my out of my immediate family. I and I'm, I'm so thankful for that because I I can't imagine my 81 year old sister going through. What I went through, and I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine any. I, I don't wish that on anybody. So I, yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to see anybody get it. But then every day I got to look at people, tell me shut up, tell me I'm faking, tell me I'm a hoax, tell me I made all this stuff up, and it's like, I you know I don't need attention. This is that's a heck of a way to get attention. Losing seven teeth out the front of your mouth, or walking around every day with an oxygen needle, making sure that your oxygen level doesn't drop, or making sure that you know there there's some of my friends who take seven, and eight, and nine medications every day, 10, 15 medications, a medication to do this and a medication to do that, and 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 but we all lying. We making this up? My friend, her mom and dad died in a nursing home in Pennsylvania. Her dad died, her mom died. They died within a couple of days of each other. But but we that, this is all in our head. This is a fake imagination. I can walk five blocks. That's all I can walk now It's five blocks by myself. I can't venture out. I don't go far. I don't go out. I, I, you know, I, I, like I said, if I go out, I'm up. All the way, my eye, I'm mask up, mask down, I'm constantly doing hand sanitizers because the level of trust for people is gone. Because now people are lying and say they got vaccinated and they didn't. So I don't, you don't know anymore, so I just avoid everybody.
0: just want to remind everyone you're listening to COVID Calls. I'm talking today to Dr. Marjorie Roberts, a COVID-19 survivor and long COVID activist. And I want to talk about the long COVID community that you, you said you started looking for people uh, that you could be in community with. Of course, it's the worst possible time to look for community because you can't be with anybody in person. So I yeah. assume you went to social media and found yeah. some support there. Yeah. Tell me about that.
1: I did. Those groups saved my life because early on, Amy Watson, in Oregon, she started COVID-19 Long Haulers. And Diana Barrett in New York, she started Survival Corps. And those were two of the first groups that I joined and that we supported each other. And like I said, they saved my life. And later on, more groups started to come up and I began to join more groups. And 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 I just began to meet so many people that were like myself. And we bonded and we still bond. We, 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 I, I, you know, we got friendships for life. So those groups early on, because like I said, I caught COVID in March. So I joined those groups in like April or May. And I don't know what I would have done without Amy and Diana early on in this thing. I, I, I really don't know because they became my friends and they they helped me find my voice. And then I began to, to speak to other people in the group because when I got my life coaching certification, I never thought it was going to be anything about any COVID. I got certified in November of twenty nineteen. And I always have had wow. a passion for people. Wow. So I knew that, you know, at the end of the day, I was gonna leave business alone and go do and go follow my dream. But it just so happened that even on my worst day in those groups, I I was I was able to throw the lifeline to other people. And that's what we did. And the groups just kept growing and they're still growing. And now, you know, like I said, now even to this day, you know, I'm still survivors for change is another, another phenomenal group that we, we're trying to make a change. So to see that, you know, it's thousands and thousands of people in these groups and we're getting new people every single day. Every single day, these, you know, and, and so we, we, we have to form a bond. We got to have each other back because. We've been let down. You know, I I hate to say it like that, but I'm no better than nobody else. But I really thought I did everything right. I really thought going to the military, buying the house, getting every degree. I really thought that all those things were going to make me a productive member of society. But as soon as COVID came and I could not work and I could not do anything and I couldn't contribute to society anymore. It all got snatched away. So when when we're in these groups, we can we can share our truth and and tell our stories, and, and we don't judge one another. You know, we don't judge in one another because COVID nineteen did not and does not discriminate. All of these degrees behind me did not stop COVID from from taking everything from me. You know, so I I, I love those groups and. You know, we, 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 I don't know. I don't know to this day what I, what I would have done or how I would have been. Because I was in the house all day, every day by myself. And my husband would leave lunch or something where I could get to it. But my daughter was working and the world was supposed to be closed down. And Atlanta never really closed down. Mm-hmm. And it was just hard to see. So, you know, I, those groups saved my life.
0: So I just want to make sure also for people who are listening who are looking for support. So it's COVID Survivors for Change is one of the main yeah. ones that you're engaged with. Yes. There's COVID, are there other ones COVID as survivors. well?
1: Yes. There's Survivor Corps. There's COVID for that. COVID survivors for change. There's long haul COVID fighters. And we don't discriminate. We you know, we don't judge. We welcome anybody and everybody. To, to come on in there, you know, and, and, and just be your truth, stand in your truth and, and own your story and tell your story. Because even though I might can't save everybody, every day I set a goal for myself to, to save one life. If I can just make difference in, and I can sleep good every night knowing that I have spoken to somebody, I have shared my truth with somebody, I have made a difference in somebody's life. And I have told, it's okay to cry. You know, I You know, at first I was getting beaten. She's like, "Well, you're a doctor, and you this and you that, and you shouldn't be talking like that, and you shouldn't be doing all the things." And so what about your status? Really, really. So yeah. So anybody who's listening, please don't suffer in silence. You don't don't suffer in silence. Do not be embarrassed. Do not be humiliated because we didn't raise our hand and volunteer for COVID. It don't work like that. So we, we you know, we got to stick together and we're here. And on Thursday nights, I facilitate a long hauler group. We meet every Thursday night on COVID Survivors to Change because it started out as a grief group, but it was so many people coming to the group like myself who were COVID-19 long haulers. We grieve. We still grieving because our life has forever changed. There's no going back. I don't even know when or if I'll be able to fly on a plane again because I'm terrified that it'll be that one person on the plane that wanna yeah. don't want to wear a mask. So it, you know, my daughter graduated from Drexel University back in the summer. I could not go. So, you know, these groups that they you know, I say all that to say. Find a group, join a group, bond together. You know, we laugh together, we cry together, we pray together, whatever it takes. But please don't suffer inside us. Please don't do that. Please don't let nobody tell you, don't say nothing. Say something.
0: The the meetings that you, so did that start pretty pretty early? You were meeting on Facebook, I guess, and people were sharing, but then you also had like Zoom meetings or how did you actually convene?
1: Yes, we we I started with that group. We do Zoom meetings because it's people from all over the world. It's people from everywhere, and it started out, you know, like I said, it started out as a grief group. And for me, I was I was learning. I was I was learning more advocacy work. You know, um, Chris Carter started that group, and he he helped us find our voice. He, you know, they had workshops for us. They taught taught us so many things: how to talk to the media, what to say, you know, how to get yourself together, how to carry yourself, and how to to have your why. How to, you know, have your why. Have you? How to, you know, tell them your why. Tell them your question. There were just so many things that they taught us, and I just I just love that group because it's it's a it's a whole variety of people from all walks of life. And like I said, on Thursday nights. We start. We, we come together. Uh, we have a presentation. We you know, and then we break down into small groups. And then we have the long hauler group that I facilitate. And we we, we, we we do everything in that group. You know, I we, we I make everybody come off mute. If you don't want to, you don't want to say anything. You just gotta say hi, and then you can go back to quiet. If you feel if you need to curse that night, cause whatever whatever you need to do that night in that space we do it and 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 we do this every thursday night we do this every thursday night zoom meetings and sometimes you know we have conversations outside of the group because i let everybody know we can we can call each other and that's what we do you know like i said i don't have this thing figured out but what i did figure out was i had to i had to find a way to, to, to go i could not heal myself physically but mentally i'm in control of this thing and i use i became my biggest client i became my biggest life coaching client so that i can master my skill and put it together and that's what i'm doing so i i i I love it because it, it helps me help everybody else and at the same time i'm helping myself
0: want to remind everyone that you're listening to COVID Calls with Dr. Marjorie Roberts, uh, COVID-19 survivor, life coach, long COVID activist. And I listened to an interview that you did, uh, Marjorie, with um, on the Here and Now program on WBUR. And uh, I was so excited to talk to you after I heard that also just because of the the depth that you went into. And as we've been discussing here about sort of how you built a community, one of the things you talked about, and you mentioned it a moment ago, I wanted to ask you about was your military service, and also your friend, Sergeant Gary Mitchell. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, that friendship, but also what being in the military meant to you, because the way you talk about it very powerfully. Also, it's a sort of a a betrayal, I think. To a certain degree, you know that you served your country, and then you turn around in 2020, and it's like country doesn't want to hear from you about your illness. So I wonder if we could talk about that part of your journey.
1: Yeah, your I, journey. Uh, I enlisted in the military in 1981, and I was trained um, on weapons, weapons repair, and I, I, I began to. I, I was so excited about the whole military. Because, you know, it was like, oh, this is what you do. You know, you can make a career out of this. You know, you learn, you get to travel. As soon as I got in the military, I went in in like 81. In like the end of 82, my mom my mom had took my daughter so that I could go. And uh, it, we, we discovered then that my mom was in the early stages of Alzheimer's. times. But I was determined to, to, to finish my time, which I did. And during that time, I was stationed in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, home of the 82nd Airborne, and I met Sergeant Gary Mitchell. And he was, he, you know, he taught me so much about the Army, about jumping out of the planes. And, we, you know, this was so, because he was so fit in and fighting, and trying to kill. And I, we, we built the friendship. So when I got out of the military and he was still in, we still kept in contact and we kept in contact forever, forever, you know, from, from the time I got out until 2020 when he passed away, we had always known where each other was because he was from New York. When he got out, he went back to New York. Um, I knew his family, you know, it, we, we were just really, really close friends. So when Gary, when I had found out that I had COVID nineteen, then I found out that Gary had COVID nineteen. And and then, you know, May 14th, Gary died. So at that moment then that 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 really made me be like, oh my gosh, you know, my, my friend, my lifelong friend is going. I lost my friend to this horrible virus. And he was one in New York so his family didn't get to say goodbye to him so you know i'm i'm taking all of this in and at the same time i'm still trying to heal myself mentally so the whole military thing it hurt because i know that i i did I, i got an honorable discharge i was in i did you know some time i did everything and i know that he did everything because he was, you know, he was so, he was one of the ones that jumped into Grenada back in 83 when they took that island. This is how far we go back. So I know how much he loved the military and I know how much he made me love the military. And I'm thinking, I can always count on the government. I can always, I'm a, I'm, I'm a veteran. I got my DD-214. And I got this. So I'm thinking this is a tool in my toolkit. Meanwhile, I go to school for nine straight years to <laughs> get this doctorate. So I these, are, you know, I two things. I bought a house. So I had I'm thinking I have all these toolkits, everything again, I thought I did everything that society told me to do. And I really thought that all of this was rock solid because I had my DD 214 and I had served my country. Mm. So I always thought, you know, because it's like, oh, veterans get this and veterans get that. And again, I'm not saying that I'm better than anybody else. I just thought that I had set myself up for success. Right. So once March came, once COVID came, um, that DD-214 meant nothing because I, I, I caught COVID at 19 at work. And when I filed for unemployment from that job, I was denied unemployment. From that job and told me quitting a job is not a good reason to quit because you got COVID nineteen. That's not a good reason. to We say that's not a good reason. COVID nineteen is not a good reason to quit a job. So there, it go there's also what 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 was I supposed to do? Because I'm like, wait, wait, my DB fourteen said I qualify for everything. I'm waiting I'm this, I'm that. no, you get nothing. I could not get disability because I was told I could. Comb my hair, brush my teeth, and tie my shoe so I'm not disabled enough to get anything there. So there's no unemployment. I can't get that. There's no disability. I can't get that. What do I do? I can't work retail anymore. Thank God I have this life coaching business and a T-shirt line because that's that's what I have to do now. But to know that uh, those, you know, but to know that the government, they was there. They they fought to give us twelve hundred dollars, and for me, I had a problem with that because they paid twelve hundred dollars for a cigar. So 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 what? So and I got denied. The, you know, so what 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 do I got? what do we do now? Well, so where do we go? What do we do? You know, we went from a two-income guy to going on household to now a 1.5 because I, I'm thankful that I have my life coaching business and my clothing line, but that's all client base. So all those things that I've done and all those things, you know, Gary and all these people that work for the military and all these veterans, we, we get, nothing. Were, we able get to, nothing.
0: were you able to to um, in terms of veterans administration maybe you're able to turn to any kind of support from from the va or veterans support groups no nothing no
1: no because i i i have a, a, my primary doctor now the one that i have my team now they are good i have affordable health care so i'm one of the lucky ones i am one of the lucky ones because i do have that and, and, and because they've been working with me and because you know they, I, we caught they're my team and they have me to this point now' I'm, I, I'm finished knocking on doors because all the doors have been closed. Mm-hmm. So I might as well stay where I am now because I see what's happening to all the veterans all over the world. I see what's happening to them so it's no door it's no more doors to knock on now. The door they, that window of opportunity has been closed. And even though now I am a part of a team with the NIH, with the Recover Program, I know that, you know, they can't do anything for me. I want them to do the research. I want them to, to do the research to be able to help people, but it's not going to help me. But I send in those meetings. I, I applaud those people that's on that team because that's a heck of a job that they have to do. You know, everybody thinks that it's a whole lot of money out there being poured into this and poured into that. That's not true because there's too many people that don't have medical insurance. There's people that don't have Medicaid. There's people that can't afford their medication. All of the the, the, the programs that they had in place to help people pay their rent and mortgages are gone. So we out here, you know, we, we out here on our own. So... I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know, but I I fight every day. I'm going to continue to fight every day because I love my family and my family loves me. And I I, I want to fight to see them. I, I want them to know that, that, you know, we were raised this way and that's what I'm doing. So, I, you know, it's nothing out there for us. It's nothing out there for us. There's no money. There's nothing.
0: I wonder if, you know, when the new administration came in and, and you talked last year, about, or you talked about the feeling about last year and the government sort of abandoning you and I know many people in the United States and not only in the United States, other countries in India and Brazil other the places where the government actually kind of went went to war against COVID survivors to a certain degree, I think, belittling your experience, denying your experience. But then we got a new administration this year. Have you seen any difference at all in terms of resources you have access to or do you, even the sort of attitude of the government? Or do you feel that this goes beyond party? This is something that the government is not built well to deal with the kinds of issues you've been struggling with.
1: I, I remember that night before he got inaugurated and they did that event and they were all standing over the Washington Monument area. They were all looking over the water. And I remember thinking, "It's healing in that water." That that's that's our hope. I really had that feeling that it's about to be on. It's about to change. And now I realize that that was just a mirage. It's nothing gonna. It's, it's, it's nothing gonna come out of that because it's too many people. It's it's too much money involved, and they don't want to send the elevator back down. And um, they they say that you know we can work. They say you know you could get a job. You go get a job paying nine or nine dollars an hour, and it, it, no. So I you know I did. I, I was praying and I was hoping that the cavalry had arrived, but they kept going. It didn't stop.
0: Let's talk a little so, bit you know, about I, your. I I wanted to ask about your, the life coaching business. I can see, uh, after talking to you for two minutes, I can see why you're good at it and, and why people want to talk to you and open up to you and and you're wearing this shirt. And yet again, I smile. So that's also a design that you come up with. And this is a clothing, um, apparel line. People can, um, buy these. I'm going to put up a link, make sure people can find your your site if they're looking uh, for life coaching services and particularly for COVID-19 sufferers. Um, But I wonder, you know, in terms of the, of that as a business, um, what does it take to be successful? What are, particularly, what are people looking for? We've talked about this a little bit in terms of social media, but I think for some people that's not enough, right? I mean, they're looking for something beyond just a once a week call. And so you provided a service that can help meet that. What do people want?
1: They just want hope. That's all. They just they just want hope, and and they ask all the time. They like, how do you how do you do this? How do you you know? And yet again, I smile. How do you smile? And because I'm still living, even though our our lives have changed for some reason, our life was spared. So I use that as a, as, a, as a starting ground with my clients. And, you know, we all got something to smile about. Yeah, we cry, we laugh, and all that. But at the end of the day, you might, you know, if you have children or if, if your mom and your dad and you have siblings, the things that people take for granted now, you know, if you can go in your refrigerator and actually open it and there's something in there to eat hope, you know, and I I, I share my truth and I share my story because, like I said, I I thought I was going to not make it out of this thing. I really thought I was not going to make it out of this thing alive. And I suffered a tremendous loss. I did. I suffered a lot. But it's okay because I still have my family. I still have some close friends left because a lot of people left. But that's okay but i still and then i have people like you who give us the opportunity to to share our truth you know you 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 hear our stories and and you believe us you know that something is not this is this is really happening to these people so um even though i lost a lot of materialistic stuff i still had to be thankful because i did have dental insurance i still had to be thankful because I have affordable health care. I have a, a, a daughter who, who loves me. I have family and friends. So I have to I, I have to fight. I have no choice. You know, COVID like some, you know, COVID had COVID had COVID COVID did have me. But I don't have COVID anymore. I still have COVID residue, but at the end of the day, I'm still fighting, Scott, and I'm gonna keep fighting. I'm not. I'm not gonna let this thing go because at some point, it's my prayer that at some point somebody will see that we didn't deserve this. We we didn't deserve this. You know they could have. You know to to be talked down to and to be told I'm lazy and to be told oh you don't want to work there. you don't have any motivation. Well, how the heck did I go to school for nine years and get every doggone degree they told me to get if I'm not motivated?
0: The uh, the image we've got up here on the screen, just so people, if you're listening, you won't see it, but you can check out DrMarjorieRoberts.com. It's dot rmarjorie com, robert dot com, And you have a great website and a lot of resources there for people who want to learn more about you and your journey and can start to, and as you said, when I asked you, you know, what is it that people are looking for and they're looking for hope and, you know, what you've shared also is a process of, of, um, working through some anger. Yeah. And I, I have to. Tell you, I mean, you should probably charge me for this hour because honestly, I, I mean, we've all got some anger. Uh, I did, have not had COVID. I did not suffer from long COVID. Um, but, you know, I talk to people almost every day on COVID calls. And when I talk to long COVID survivors, um, I get really angry. Yeah. And, and and at a couple levels. One is the the way, as you describe the government, not just sort of turning away but actively attacking you. Really? And then also the sort of problem of of gaslighting and being told by employers or by medical professionals and I'm not casting on all medical professionals here I'm talking you know specific to ones who sort of um turn their back or told you you know this is not something we can deal with or come back to us later whatever it is. It's just such yeah. a breakdown of these systems that we've all had trust in. Um and I think dealing with that anger is something we're all going to have to cope with. I've actually, I think, you know, that it's it's manifest itself in so many different ways that have resulted in violence in the United States that it's made yeah. me very fearful that we actually have got to process this grief and this anger. We've got to do it pretty quickly.
1: Yes. Yes, most definitely. Most definitely, because when you when, you know, especially here in Georgia, it's already an angry, angry atmosphere and now you you you're gonna you know, throw politics into this it's gonna explode it's gonna get it's, it's gonna be you know it's gonna be and now in 2022 when they get ready elect whoever it's just gonna it's gonna be ongoing but because that money is that, that 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 hole is so powerful and they chose other stuff over us so yeah yeah we angry i still have my moments i still have my moments and, and but i tell people you know, when you get so mad like that, your blood pressure goes up. Right. You can have a stroke. You can have a heart attack, and especially for us that have, or you know, for anybody, it's such a it's, it's, it's such a volatile situation. So it, it's it's easy to get pulled into somebody else's drama, but it's better to walk away. You know. So sometimes I, I like I that group that I have on Thursday night. If any, we, we curse. We say curse words. We have to because that's that, that anger. Yeah, I mean, because like I said, I don't know who made me sick. All I know is if if the company that I worked for had listen to me and read the information that the hospital was giving me and had shut that gift shop down maybe a two weeks before they made them close it down and not trying to then sell candy bars and potato chips to people. That it it would have saved my life, and then for me, I don't know who I might have given it to after I got it in the gift shop. You know, it's just so many pieces. But yeah, I was angry. Some days I still have my, but I just I just pray it off. I have a prayer closet. I have a little talk with Jesus. Whatever I have to do to to bring myself back down, because I don't, I can't, I don't want to trigger anything else.
0: Yeah, you know, so yeah, totally.
1: I don't, don't want yeah, to totally. wake up anything else in my body. I don't want
0: to do that? Yeah, so let's move on from that. And let's I didn't mean, I that. didn't mean to I, take I, us I, there. I don't want <laughs> to. Uh, I don't want to raise your blood pressure at all. So, and and we're we're <laughs> just about out out of time. But I just one the thing I wanted to get to in my discussion with Marjorie Roberts, which actually you've been talking about the future a lot, which I appreciate. Um, and and I do, you know, wonder how you think that these long COVID. Support groups. Do you think they'll they'll stay together? I mean, is this the basis of some something that will go on for a period of time? Is this a kind of new a yes. new form of politics? A, a new form of group therapy? I mean, what are we seeing emerge here, Marjorie?
1: This is our new normal. This is this is normal for us because it's so many things that trigger people. So this is, the groups can't go anywhere because COVID is not going anywhere. So as long as COVID is around, these groups are gonna be around. And these groups are gonna be around for that yeah, for a long time because it's new people every week. It's new people every week. Because I'm approaching week I mean, my twenty first month, you have people who are six weeks into this thing. Seven weeks into this thing. So, you know, where I am now they soon will be. So these groups can't go anywhere. They can't because they're needed. You know, everybody can't afford a therapist. Everybody can't afford that. So, you know, those groups are not that you get the medical attention or whatever. I'm not saying that, but it does give people uh, out. It does give people, uh, teach people to learn your voice. And it does give people, you know, to see that I'm not alone, that I'm not crazy.
0: want to remind everyone you've been listening to COVID calls and you can usually catch COVID calls live at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Please join me tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern time for my discussion with Martha Greenwald, who's the founding director and curator of uh, the Who We Lost project. And she's also a poet. So we'll be talking about that project, that memorial project, and we'll be hearing some poetry tomorrow from Martha Greenwald. So please do join me for that. And Um, Just a special thanks to my guest today, Dr. Marjorie Roberts, and you can find her uh, life coaching uh, services and more about her at her website, DrMarjorieRoberts.com. And Marjorie, uh, thanks for making time for this conversation. It meant a lot to me and I know to others who are listening. And thanks for what you're doing.
1: Thank you. You take care stay safe.
0: Stay healthy, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow, 6 p.m. on COVID Calls. Thank you.